the art of self-reliance is forging your own path, but the path is difficult. Made easier by learning from those who have succeeded in directing their own lives on their own terms. With their help and inspiration, your path to self-reliance moves from dream to reality. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rodney King. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Self-Reliance podcast. In this episode, I speak to Kevin Cotton. Kevin has had an illustrious past. He was an elite choreographer for world and Olympic figure skating champions, directing and choreographing multi-million dollar international touring stationary figure skating shows, and the 1988 Calgary Olympic closing ceremonies. He then wrote a leadership book entitled The Nomadic Mindset, where along with conversations with over 100 executives, he studied and lived with the nomadic tribes in Mongolia, the Maasai in Kenya, and the Berbers of the Sahara in southern Morocco, gleaning from them their ancient wisdom and how it can be adapted for today's needs. In this episode, we discuss the dominant mindset today, how to apply a nomadic mindset to modern life, and how to experience what Kevin calls migrating to expansion. The art of self-reliance calls you to adventure, to develop your self-protection skills, to learn how to survive no matter where you find yourself, and to thrive amongst life's chaos. Kevin, here's my first question for you. When you hear the words self-reliance, what does that mean to you? So what does that mean? It means being reliant on your own energies. It means being your own person. It means uh, using your own power to uh, continue to be resilient. And uh, so it, I think it's all of those particular aspects of, of the work. Question about the word self is though I have a, a challenge always. And I, I question this on a theoretical point of view, I guess. And uh, understanding why do we have to say self in front of things like self-awareness when we are the self instead of being reliant we're we're already self-reliant we're already self-reliant and i think that that's wonderful i mean you know that's how you got to where you are and uh, you've been very strong and very adaptive and also being able to challenge yourself at the same time and i think those are all parts of being self-reliant is really taking yourself and doing whatever you need to do perfectly, all of the thing. So yeah, and no, I absolutely agree with you. I guess the, the argument that I could make for putting the self between, you know, before a word is that oftentimes people don't really know themselves. And so kind of highlighting in, you know, air quotes, the self brings back to this idea of exploring yourself fully and your own nature. I think most people tend to live a life that is not their own. It's somebody else's, you know, either they're trying to impress other people is a good example, right? Trying to live the life that their parents said that they should, even though they're completely unhappy and that's not where they want to go. So I think a lot of times what you tend to find is that people are living a life other than their own. And what they need to realize is that they need to come back to themselves. And one of the ways to do that is by exploring 
all of themselves and not just what they believe other people think that they should be. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I understand theoretically, you know, the whole aspect of it. I, I just, I just throw it out as a question. That's all. And um, sure, no, it's a, it's a really, it's a really good question, of course. You know, because I mean, if we want to get academic about it, we can start exploring that and say, well, what is the self, right? And is this, you know, is there such a thing as a self? And is a self something that is uh, concrete it's something that never changes or is it something that completely morphs and changes depending on the situation and the environment we find ourselves in i think that kind of speaks to your work right mm -hmm. is that it's about being able to show up in life no matter where you are and be true to your inner compass and not just saying what you feel needs to be said in order to be accepted absolutely and i think that that takes actually quite a long time to to gather the mojo and the self-confidence to be able to do such a thing. And it depends on where you are in the journey. Some people come into this life very advanced. And so they think very early on these bigger thoughts and, and topics about who they are and are able to stand up to a variety of different uh, challenges on the other side or people's opinions or, or uh, you know, aggressiveness or, or a variety of different aspects. But it, it takes a lot of self, uh, uh, as they say, confidence. It's, it's, a, it's a confidence within the being. And I think that, you know, from the research that I've done with nomadic cultures, is that there's an incredible sense of their own being. That I agree with, and that's beautiful, and that's what I want to explore. Maybe before we start talking about nomadic cultures, Let's, let's, just, let's just back up a little bit because I think in this instant, it's really important for people to know how you got to this point, right? So what I love about your journey and what excites me is that you went and you embedded yourself within nomadic tribes in order to learn from them and then ultimately bring back that knowledge, which we can argue is likely being forgotten into the modern world and how can we apply it as we are today, because we are clearly in the modern world, nothing like our nomadic ancestors, but they still exist. And we often don't view them as having something to teach us. So how did you, so how did you get to this? How did you decide that that's what you were going to do? Well, it's an interesting story, I suppose, depending on who's listening. But in fact, it was is that I, and with many of us, we lose a purpose in life and or we haven't found the purpose in life and i was uh, doing a lot of uh, speaking and training and coaching and with you know multinational organizations but there was something missing there was something deeply missing because i was a, i was doing my own work but i was also doing somebody else's work that i was actually uh, the third party for so to speak and that was not giving me any energy anymore and I thought, if I'm going to move into the next part of my life, which is the last part of my life, is that I need to have something that I've got to grip into and really know my purpose so that I can drive it to the end. You know, and so what happened was I went back to Victoria one time where I'm from in Canada, and it was the winter. It was November. It was December 28th. And I got off of the plane and looked outside, and it was very cold. And uh, coming from Singapore, and I thought, uh, I don't need to be here. 
I'm choosing to be here only because I've been coming to, doing this for many, many years. And for the reason was because of my mother, but my mother had passed away two years before. So I thought, well, why am I doing this? I don't need to be here. I'm a global nomad. I could be anywhere. And then all of a sudden, I went, global nomad? And so that was the trigger was that I said, okay, that's my brand. That's who I am. That is what's driving me. And, and, and three months later, I came back to Singapore and I had a, a meeting with a mentor, Frederick Heron, who is an amazing speaker on innovation and creativity. And I was looking for what is my inner theme. So this is part of that, finding that purpose. Within an hour, through a variety of questioning, he got to the point very quickly as what is no man, because I really want to know. Then he looked up the meaning and then he started to ask me a variety of questions and I got more and more excited and I can feel it inside of me that, I knew that this is what I wanted to talk about. And, but at that point, it was a very different perspective as to what it is now. And it's, that was the early seed, right? Is that you got to start from a seed and then somehow it grows and morphs and then you find something more interesting within it. And uh, so he said, you need to become an expert and you need to uh, write a book so that you have credibility. And so he said, what would be the name of the book? And I didn't have to think very long. I said, it's the nomadic mindset. And then after that, the next day, I wrote back to him. I said, the second part of it is never settle for too long. And so he said, then you need to do research. You need to research because it's a leadership book, over a hundred different executives and different generations and different size companies from startups to multinationals and globally you, you need to have the whole mix i said okay cool and then he said you need to go and spend time with nomadic cultures and i went he said three and i said oh and i paused for a moment because i thought now what have i got myself into <laughs> and uh and he said I said, well, can I do this on Google, you know, and go to the library? And he said, no. He said, you have to go get your feet dirty. You've got to eat with them. You've got to sleep with them. You've got to observe them. You've got to listen to them. You've got to, you've got to spend time learning and finding out and getting curious and becoming nomadic yourself in many ways. So uh, that's how it all came about. And so I agreed to it and we went forward. And uh, I know at one point, because I was still for the month of April of that year of 2017, I was a little bit, well, I don't know how to do this. I mean, I've never researched before. How am I going to, how am I going to find these people? How am I going to find any of this? And, and he said to me at the very beginning of May, he said, I sense you don't believe me that this is a great topic, do you? I said, oh yeah, I do. He says, no, you don't. And he says, we can end it right here, this mentorship. And he said, if you don't do it within a year, I'm doing it because it's a bloody good topic. And I went, and then it's when my competitive years of figure skating and working with elite athletes drove me and then nobody was going to take away the subject, which I thought was great. <laughs> so I just dug in and I went forward. So that was an impetus, you know, it was that, as you talk about self-reliance, I was a bit uncertain. And then this kicked in to me was, this is it. And, but it had to take an outside point of view pushing me to a certain point. 
And then it all came as, you know, when the, you know, when you know something is actually working is because things fall into place. Mm. Everything fell into place. And I would just smile every time. It was like, how did that happen? You know, when I, I was talking to a client who happened to, who was in Nairobi at the time. And I said, you know, I'm working on doing research for this book and I would like to spend some time with the Maasai. Do you have any connections? And she says, oh yeah, I can line it all up for you because I used to work a lot with, you know, Maasai, Maasai culture and also with a group in the Southern Maasai Ra. And I said, wow. The same thing happened in Morocco when I wanted to spend time with uh, the Berbers and in the Sahara. He said, I know a French anthropologist that is, this is his subject, is Berbers. He will help you all along the way. Again, it fell into place. And then Mongolia fell into place the same way. And it was uh, magic. And so you know at that point, there's something working towards, there's an energy working towards you getting this out there. It's a beautiful story. And it goes to that, you know, like you said, you know, it's a great idea when things start just falling into place and you feel that you actually answering your call. And I do think it's crucial to make a difference. And this is one way to do it, to live it, right? Not just to speak about it because you could have, as you noted, you could have quite easily just have tried to do research online, but then you wouldn't have been authentic. And being authentic is exactly what you're describing is that you actually went down there and you did it. My question is, what, after all of that time spending with nomadic tribes, what would you say is the crucial difference between their mindset and the predominant mindset that we encounter in the West at present? Uh, there's a multiple of things. Um, so at the very end of my research, I was sitting in a hut, two-room hut, of a Berber nomad in the Rocky Sahara, in my turban and everything, you know, all, all dressed up because that's what my guide told me, you have to do this, you need to wear the, so you become much more integrated. And he said to me at the very end of my questioning, he said, what makes us similar? And I was, he was talking about Mongolia because I'd already been there and also in the Maasai. He said, what makes us similar? Because they already knew that there was differences, such as culture, there was language, there's religion, there's food, there's uh, geographical differences, all of those things. But he said, what makes you similar? And I had to think for a second. And, I, and what came in my gut, which is where the nomadic mindset sits, is humanity. Their whole sense of humanity is whole. And what do I mean by that? I mean that they are the most interconnected beings on this planet. They are the caretakers of the planet and the way we ought to live. Why are they interconnected and how are they interconnected? They're interconnected not only to themselves and to others, but to the land, to the animals, to the universe, to the temperature, to the geographic. They are completely interconnected and they know if you do wrong in one side, it's going to affect somewhere else scientific fact right you know and they know this because it has been passed down through the ages and nomadic cultures have been around for an awful long time and 
Yeah, I mean, they're just so interconnected. I think that's the word that is really strong here. And, you know, people say, well, we need to connect. I, I say, yeah, there's, there's connect, but that is not enough. Because connection is like, I, I, I use an analogy, and that is if you take a plug and you put it into a socket, it's connected to the socket. If you take an adapter, a multiple adapter, and it can connect to a light, it can connect to a, a, a phone, it can connect to a computer, it can connect to a writer. These are all interconnections. They're d different devices, but they're all interconnections. And that is what's important. And the other thing, another one, is looking at your body. Your body doesn't happen just because it's a heart. The heart has to be interconnected to every single different system within your body. Otherwise, it won't function. It's the same with us. We have become so separated from reality and the systems that are around us. We, because this is our mindset, it's for many, many years, and it's a very industrial revolution mindset, is that we separate everything. Separate, separate, and then we forget to interconnect or connect them. And the connections are which are, the interconnections are which are the challenges for all of us. And if we start to look, that takes an expansive point of view and not a limited point of view. And so, again, that's a long answer to the one question, and it's interconnection. This idea of interconnectedness really resonates with me, not only in my own experience, but I was talking to another guest who's a really good friend of mine, Frank Forensich, who I think you would find some value in his work because you have some similarities in the way that he sees the world. And he very much looks back to the way our ancestors lived as a way to give people a compass, a direction, you know, in this day and age. And I was talking to him about, and I'd like to get your take on this. I get the sense that if people are really honest with themselves, there is a longing, but they don't really know where that longing is coming from because Western, the Western world and the way that we live. And as you said, we are disconnected in some sense from reality and much of the angst that people are feeling and the anxiety and just the rates of depression and everything that we see around us is because we are in this modern world, which is a very short moment in time in our history on this planet. In actual fact, for most of our history on this planet, we lived exactly as you experienced with those nomads. I think that part is encoded in our DNA. Now, there's no scientific evidence for that, but that's just intuitively what I believe to be true and what I sense from people. And it's one of the reasons why, for example, if people take the time to go and walk in nature, why it's such a healing experience. And the reason is because it reconnects them to their ancient roots, their primal roots, something that has been forgotten. And I feel that the longer we stay in this modern world of virtual reality because that's what really it is and living outside of ourselves and disconnected from ourselves and other people and the planet i think we're going to see more and more psychological and emotional distress what's your sense of that does that does that does that make sense to you is that your experience absolutely it makes sense uh, rodney you know because I'll come to one point and it is our primal instinct. And I believe that 
when I talk about the nomadic mindset is my whole movement is to awaken the nomad which is within you. Now, that nomad is living there. We have the roots of it. And I'm, yeah, again, you know, I don't know if it's encoded in the DNA. However, I did read somewhere that there is a connection. And so there is a, gen a, a genetic code that is connected to the DNA. I don't know, I haven't found that, that source yet, but, but I think that as more and more we see people, I mean, the, the biggest problem is, is suggesting that moving into a city and into confined areas is where the action is, is where that's all to happen. That is where progression, that's where thriving is. I do, I totally disagree with that, simply because most of the people, like if you look at China, where they were, many, many people have been moved out of the country into these large, you know, metropolises, and they don't know what to do. They've lost themselves. They've lost who they are because they're not interconnected with nature, but they're into a, a box, and that box has borders. And what happens when you're in nature, you, you, re, you realize that there are no borders. And the borders are self-inflicted by politics, by education, by culture, all of these things. And we're all part of that. And it's about trying to break down those borders so that we don't have these psychological challenges which keep coming up for all of us. And it is about us you know, us perfecting being, you know, that we're always supposed to be the best. We're always supposed to be who, you know, go for the top. We're always, you know, these major outcomes, these major goals. So I deal with the Maasai. And what is the major goal of the day? Okay, my animals have to go and graze. I go in the morning and I take them out to graze. But that's instinctive. It is not necessarily because it's about humanity. It's about thriving. It's not, if they don't graze, then they can't sell them and then they can't feed. And so there's a whole interconnected cycle uh, that is to that one thing. So I, we don't necessarily think of it in this way. But it's the same thing if we have a job. It's about going to the job but, and then it's coming back. But I see that the youth and the Gen Zs are different. They want to be interconnected to nature in more general terms. They want to have collaboration. What they are asking and suggesting to all of us is very, this going back to nomadic principles, which is community. It's about sharing. It's about, it's not one person is the knowledge of everything. There is a guide or a chief or an elder or, or a boss or whichever, but they don't want that necessarily. I mean, they, they, I mean, sorry, they want that within an organization if they go to an organization. But you see, it comes from the organizational culture of communication and how nomadic cultures work and that they work in a circle and they work in community level. So there's a variety of governance levels which shift from the very down to the top, which is the final decision maker, which is the, the chief. 
But the chief and the wise man are very much the same person. So it's about the wisdom of the ancients bringing forward and then how do we adapt that to where we are in society today. We don't have that as necessarily as the wisdom people today. There are some, but it's not in our structure of uh, community necessarily. Uh, so there's going to be more challenges mentally unless we can expand because the challenges come from narrow thinking and narrow mindset and narrow possibilities. I have a saying, and one of the key sayings is migrate to expansion. And that's really one of the biggest pieces of the nomadic mindset. Why? Because there's a quote by a Maasai warrior. He says, we are migrating. Where we were is not where we are. We are evolving. And it's so beautiful because isn't that every statement so short, so succinct, so clear, is exactly where we are now and where we have always been. It's about recognizing that this is movement. I'm just reflecting as you're talking about that to my own children, my two sons who are both teenagers, well, actually one's a young adult. I think he'd be upset if I called him a teenager. He's in his first year of university. But I see a shift in the mindset amongst himself and his peers. I would make the argument to say that the error of the, the knowledge error is no longer that important, especially for young people, that we're really moving into a wisdom error. I think the struggle we're going to find is that many of these young people are not entirely sure where to go in order to find that. And that's one of the reasons why often if you talk to people who run businesses these days, they get so frustrated because these young people never stay long enough in one place. They keep jumping from one job to the next. And what I think a lot of business owners and people who run organizations don't understand is that what they're really looking for is this wisdom we're talking about. And unless you offer that in your organization, you're going to constantly have these young people not wanting to settle, not wanting to stay within the tribe because it doesn't speak to what we've been suggesting. You know, even if I think back, you know, if you think about young children is a good example of this, before they get conditioned by our modern world and get put into boxes and lose touch with their intuition, if you give them two photos, you give them a photo of a city or a photo of the savannah, and you say, which of these two places would you like to go to? Almost without exception, a young child will go, I want to go to the savannah. They don't say, I want to go there to the city, you know? And so that gets bred out of us. But I think, as you noted, is a lot of young people today are now on this quest to seek wisdom. The problem, of course, is nobody seems to be offering a way for them to achieve that, especially in organizational life, because it's still about the bottom line. It's still about profit. It is still about the bottom line. It still is about profit. And, and sadly, it doesn't recognize the fact that the humanity of the individuals are those that are creating that profit. And so it's not just the wisdom or the, the drive of the very top. It's, it's about the people who are the collaborators or the co-creators. So I totally understand. And I like what you're saying about your children and, and understand also what organizations say and this is the narrow thinking. 
This is what I'm talking about. It's not about looking at the individuals and also understanding where are they trying to come from and to say, well, are we offering this? Am I offering it as a leader? No, I'm thinking like this. And so they have to fall into this. Uh, what I found very interesting is that uh, when I was in, Mo in Morocco, I talked to a Berber who is a psych, he, he is a phys physicist. He's a PhD in, phys in phys physics. And he said, in our Berber culture, we believe an awful lot in non-specialization. And uh, I found this interesting because this is what I also heard in Mongolia. Where we talk about specialization, this is one route, you do that and, when, and that's all you do. And he said, no. Uh, he said, well, a, an, an owner of a company will do was bring into new people into the company and he will say, learn whatever you want to learn, learn it, enjoy it. And then in two years, leave and form your own company. Now, you wouldn't necessarily get that from an entrepreneur or an owner of a company here to say, here they say, okay, you know, you're, you're wasting our money by we teaching you everything and then you leave. So in other words, they are complete debit as opposed to a credit on the, on the bottom line and in the fiduciary forms. So, but what they believe is this person that's now working with us is learning. He's gaining the loyalty. He's gaining the knowledge and we're becoming a community. And so we can learn from each other. He will then go off and he will create the same thing, but their network is very tight. And this can completely is what is happening is this network of sprawl, just like, you know, neurons. This is how they create it is through these connections of knowledge sharing and knowledge creation amongst everyone. And I found that very fascinating. I was in Mongolia sitting with a woman and she said, you know, the Koreans love to have the Mongolians come and work for them. And I said, why? And she says, because you ask them to do this and they will be able to figure it out. You ask them to do that and they'll be able to figure it out. They don't just say, okay, I, know, I cannot do that. I cannot, that's not part of my job description or no, they say, oh, okay, let me see it, figure it out. This is what you talk about, the reliance, self-reliance, is being able to, to have that. Um, in South Africa, I have a very good friend of mine that works as a gen blender. So she works with blending the generations within organizations, and she's a cool, cool lady. Her name is Alison Gordonaire. And she says that all we have in Africa is resilience. That's all we have is the power because its survival is on the ground every day we face it. And we need to be resilient to find ways forward. And she says that's exactly how entrepreneurship is there. And she said there are people just creating all sorts of incredible different projects and, and companies small companies, but they will not do it and scale up like it's a traditional book form of scaling up. They will do it their way. And it's all to dumb. And she says it's done with community because they believe everybody should have something. 
So that's a really good segue into talking about the three arrows that help define a nomadic mindset. Can you talk to that a little bit for us? Sure. So the first arrow that you need to have is understand what is the nomadic mindset. So I want to dispel a myth. And that myth is that most people will say to me, ah, oh, yeah, I love to travel. I am a nomad. I say, mm, okay. And then, you know, they would come to me and they, oh yeah, nomadic mindset, I love traveling. And I say, no, it's not about that. I say, metaphorically, it could be. Because the nomadic mindset is not about physical travel. I learned when I was in Mongolia, a woman by the name of Bakrel Bat. She said to me, uh, she was the, the head of the branding council of Mongolia. And she said, most people believe nomad, the word nomad to mean cultures that move together from place to place to find new pastures so they can survive and graze in a different place. That's a dictionary meaning. And she says, no, that's not what it means. And she paused for a moment and I could see in her eyes this twinkle and it was just so beautiful to see. And she said, it means the movement of the mind. The movement of the mind. So that's what the nomadic mindset is. It's the movement of the mind. So if you think Think travel, think the travel in your mind from different places to one place, from idea to idea, from solution to another solution, from a conversation to another. What, uh, what's, my, what's the movement? Everything is moving. And the nomads understand this about movement. So movement is the most important thing that all of us should understand. We do not live in a flat, still world. There is always molecules and atoms moving, even if it's very, very slowly. There is always movement, and that's energy. So the movement of the mind is the nomadic mindset, is my principle, is that fluidity of being able to move from place to place in your mind and find different solutions and opportunities and possibilities that are presented to you. So in other words, it's, if someone says, this is the way, this is the creation of this widget. Ah, maybe. No, but I think that there's another way. That is the creation of what I call, not necessarily brainstorming, but nomad storing. Because you are nomading, you are going into the brain perhaps, but you are nomading, you are moving everything around to find the possibilities or colors or ideas or technology or whatever that you're looking, you're searching. Just as a, a Maasai would search for a lion or an animal, they would search, they would explore. So, that's one of the first arrows. The second arrow is to understand what is the mind. Neuroscience says that we have three brains. The brain in the head, the brain in the heart, and the brain in the gut. And many different people have a mindset which sits mainly in the brain. Some have, a, and I call that the builder mindset. 
in my book. And then there is the heart, which is the empathetic, the community-based, the heart center, as we call it, is more the settler mindset. But the gut is the nomad. The gut is the instinct. It is that sensing. It is that, what is that? What, what, what's going on in my body? What's going on in the environment? That's what's it's, it's moving. But the interesting thing that I find is that the builder mindset has a very hard time, which is in the head. It's very top heavy. If you think physiologically, that's one fifth of our body weight is in the head. And it has a hard time to seek down to the heart. When you hear about leaders, for example, that are not very empathetic, that they're not very caring of their people, whichever. And they have a very hard, they can get down sometimes to the instinct, but it's, it's a long way down into the gut. The heart is the settler. They can go up to the top, to the brain a lot of the time. And, but as far as the nomad going down there, they find it a bit scary because it's uncertain, it's change, it's uh, periods of a lack of clarity. They, they don't feel comfortable in that zone. That zone of intuition is that uncertainty, that uncomfort, that, that place of the nomad. And the nomad is able to freely flow. It's like this, this runner, this Maasai, long walker, going up into the heart, into the head, round and round and round, able to freely flow through the different three different brains. So the first arrow is to understand it's the movement of the mind. The second is, is to understand the brain, the heart, and the, the gut are all interconnected. And therefore, they, the nomad sits as the one that flows, but there are other mindsets that sit there as well. So that's another piece. The other one, the third one, there's many, many arrows, by the way, and these, I'm just giving you three. And the third one is about migration. And again, it's around movement. So what is migration? Many people today, they've turned this word into a, geopolitical nasty word that migration is about people moving from one place and they don't like it because of different you know different classes of people different religions a lot have been muslim at this point in time but they don't like this word migration because it means people taking over my space again borders people closing in again this is that narrow thinking and we need to go, why? To go, okay, why are they leaving? These people are on a nomadic journey, a, a migration like animals go seasonally. And they also do another thing, animals, is they migrate, like is the time now in the, in the Maasai Mara in southern Kenya and in northern Tanzania, is the movement of migration. I just saw a little video from one of the fellows that I... Uh, uh, that I sponsor for education. And he sent me this fabulous of the wildebeest just running through this video. It's like amazing, this hordes and hordes of animals. And that's a migration. And they're also going there, not only find new, new seasonal food, but they're going to give birth. And that birth is the birth of ideas, birth of creation birth. What is it when a, a mother gives birth to a child? It's giving newness. It's giving what, what are the, in, they're giving such growth into this world and, you know, into such uh, inspiration. And that's what the birth is. And that's what migration is. 
So today, recently, I was speaking with a fellow who is in IT, and he says, well, you know, when we were talking, I said, what are you doing? He says, oh, yeah, well, and we migrate this information to this and migrate it back, and we migrate from here. I said, ah, you migrate. Man, that's cool. So this is migration as well. We're constantly migrating. And migration is movement. So it all comes down to movement. The th so the first arrow is the movement of the mind. The second arrow is the understanding that the three brains and the movement of the different mindsets. And the third is understanding about migration, that it is actually a necessity for us all to migrate in one way, shape or form. It can be for us as individuals or expats from one place to another and location geographically. It can be just from job to job or position to position. It is, and in organizations, especially, excuse me, in the European Union, they call it mobility. Okay, what is mobility? Mobility is movement. And some people are afraid of it. They're absolutely afraid of moving from one position to another because it's a newness. All right, that's a mindset. All right, for a nomad, they would go, oh, no problem. Let's bring it on. Uh, so, and, and it's also means the migration from idea to idea. It also means the migration from uh, a conversation to another conversation, a decision from here to another decision, a choice to another choice. These are migrations. So those are some of the key arrows. Those are the bases of the arrows. And then there is many more. So I really resonate uh, with the second one where you're talking about the three different minds. And my take on that is that nomads have never lost the trust in what we could define as pre-verbal consciousness. And in our Western society, we're all about verbal consciousness, right? So every experience that we have, we have to try to explain it and rationalize it. And we have to find the logic within it because that's how we've been educated where a nomad trusts that pre-verbal consciousness, which we could argue is what children, babies have. You know, before you can actually talk, before you can actually utter a word, your pre-verbal consciousness is active. It's what allows babies to navigate the world and do things just by looking and trusting their body in order, you know, to do actually what it's, what they wanted to do. Right. And then we lose that as we get older because we get so bogged down and we just literally from the shoulders up, right. We all head heavy. We lose touch with that. And so I'm not surprised then that people no longer have the connection to their intuition and what you described, right. And that ability to, to bring that forward into their experience and get caught up in their head and then start living in the past or the future and are no longer able to access the present moment. And the other thing, if you think about it, I came from a sports background and a dance background and balance is extremely important when you want to spend balance on your toes or whichever. And, and if you think about it, the, nom the gut is just a little bit above your balance point. So the nomad sits in that balance point. Many, most of us live in this upper end of the brain on an ongoing basis, because as you say, that's how we're taught, that's how we're in, you know, institutionalized in many ways of, of thinking. 
But where, look where it is. It's, not, it's so far away from the balance point. So this fluidity back and forth is vital for organizations and for the development of where we want to go into the future. And I believe truly that we, unless we start doing that, we're really up the creek, you know? Um, and I don't want to be negative, but it's true, is that most of the thinking today, even after COVID, is very sort of, the thinking is holding on, grasping, you know, to what was. And this whole concept of what people say, the new normal, absolutely makes me vomit because the concept of new normal is, has this impression for me as going backwards into an old thinking. And we need to, in this, and when I say old thinking, industrialized thinking, which is mainly settler and builder. And we, there is a space out of this and that's the nomad. And the nomad is not flaky, is not any of that. It can be on the extremes of it, is extremely strategic because they have to be if they're going to go on caravan because it's their life and the community's life is at stake. But it is keeping that movement of thought and interconnection that is very important. So, yeah, I mean, I love what you say about the pre-verbal. That's very cool. And the verbal, it's a, it's a nice relationship. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Kevin, as we come to the end of this absolutely fascinating conversation, I could talk to you all day long about this. <laughs> Leave everybody with a final word of inspiration. What would you want people to know and something to take forward in their life? What I would like everyone to consciously think about, and this could be rather deep consciously, is a word, as three words migrate to expansion. And that I think is extremely important. If we are going to grow, if we're going to, if it, even in your, any part of your life, and that doesn't mean to move from city to city. It means to migrate to expansion within yourself. And that we come back to the self again is migrating to the self to find out how I move forward outside. So, Migrate to expansion, everybody, because that's where you can thrive. To learn more about the art of self-reliance, our virtual coaching service, online courses, and our retreats in Thailand, head over to Primal Skills. That's with a Z.com.